Welcome back to Connecting the Dots. I'm Jesse Chen. In the previous episode, I spoke about the nature of a growing popular uprising, not just here in the United States, but around the world, and the last 15 years and the trend that it indicates in terms of what we might expect in the future. And in this episode, I want to talk about movements. Um, and specifically, I want to talk about uh, the, the differences between the intentions behind a movement and the effects and the unintended outcomes and consequences of a movement. Um, there is a big difference between what the intention of a movement may be versus what actually happens as a result. And looking back in history, there's plenty of places where we can see this having, had, having happened. Uh, in the 1960s, there were greater intentions um, for the civil rights movement than what the um, outcomes and uh, consequences were following the civil rights movement. Um, many would say, I think looking back quite fairly, that um, the civil rights movement, while it achieved so much, uh, certainly did not go forth and achieve everything that was, for example, referred to in Dr. King's speech. Um, even further back in history, if we look at President Lincoln and the Civil uh, War, there was definitely a, a good intention by President Lincoln to unify, reunify the divided North and South together as one country uh, for several reasons that certainly made sense at the time, by the way. Um, but now, um, an unintended consequence of that is, is that there is still a divide between the North and the South in this country. And while it may not be quite as explicit and profound as it used to be, anyone who identifies with the quote-unquote North in the United States will tell you, just as anyone who is identifying with the South will tell you, that there's big differences between the two. So really, again, my point here is that the difference between the intent, intention and the unintended consequence and outcomes is a critical part of not just looking at previous world events, but also in thinking systemically. Um, and there's plenty of ways to think about that in terms of uh, current world events in terms of current movements. For example, thinking about Black Lives Matter and the people's movement behind Bernie Sanders campaign. Um, these both represent extraordinary movements that not only fit within the narrative that I presented in the previous episode regarding populist uprisings um, and anti-establishment anger, but also speak to the uh, evolution in terms of uh, what is intended versus unintended. Um, Black Lives Matter is, as you may know, a, uh, a, a justice movement, effectively, for lives that have been lost uh, in the black community at the hands of law enforcement. And so, again, it doesn't really matter whether you're for or against, the intent of this, mar of this uh, movement is to, is to gain justice for those who've been lost. But the unintended consequence of this movement is that there are a greater number of people uh, that in 21st century America are waking up to the fact that extraordinary racial injustices exist. Um, not just within the African-American community, but more broadly speaking. Um, it's also waking up to a large part 
um, the leadership layer in terms of not just elected officials, but also those who serve as our chiefs of police or union leaders within the police force, et cetera, um, that are also um, identifying this as an issue that is certainly a perceived injustice um, by those within the black community. And again, my point here is not for you to take one side or think that I'm taking one side versus another as much as it's a way to look at uh, the difference between the intentions of a movement versus the unintended outcomes. There is a large increase of consciousness, really, within the um, within the U United States right now that is responding to this Black Lives Matter in in I would say deeply personal ways. It's not very clear for each person. Um, how they feel relative to their friends, for example, but maybe within themselves, they are coming to different views on the issue compared to where they were before. Whether or not those views are better or worse is an entirely different story. Um, but this speaks to a lot about what movements are about. Movements are ultimately about transforming hearts and minds. Um, the point is to get more people to agree with you effectively, or at least to relatively see the world as you see it, at least for the most part. Um, transforming hearts and minds is the ultimate goal of, of any movement, or certainly of any leader, but of any movement, it's really organic. It's really, in, in many cases, leaderless. Sometimes looking back, we put a face or a name or an image or an icon against a movement or on to represent that movement but really it represents a, a growth in, in in consciousness a mass movement and change in hearts and minds that gets people to think very differently about um about the world as as they've seen it and so this transformation of hearts and minds is really what movements are all about and again that process is not exactly scientific it's not exactly straightforward there's no real um, great playbook per se on how to do it although there are certainly analyses of how they've been accomplished in the past under completely different circumstances and that's relevant to say because the movement of the 1960s for the civil rights era was happening at around the same time that we were dealing with the war with vietnam right so there was definitely a, a, a movement that already existed within progressive America at that time that both the anti-war and the pro-civil rights agenda movements could feed upon in order to grow uh, and transform more hearts and minds and find allies, etc. Um, the ability to influence multiple people has always been a core staple of what it means to be a leader and to be an effective leader. And and more recently, uh, the ability to have many connections um, or having many connections in general has been core to um, being a relevant and effective leader in a world of, uh, of networked technology, in a world of extraordinary connectivity. <clears throat> so given that, it's worth thinking about leadership maybe a little bit differently. Um, and this I recently spoke about at a University of Maryland event as systems leadership. It's really a form of organic leadership, which now in the 21st century where everyone is connected to everyone else really has more 
relevance and priority than I think it's ever had before, which is that it's not just enough to have to be able to influence people directly. Um, it's not just enough to have a lot of connections in order to influence. It is now in a world of technology, a challenge, a leadership challenge and strength if you can influence other people to influence other people. In other words, it's not just in the past, it was me trying to influence a thousand people. Now it's me trying to influence a thousand people and giving them the support, the leadership, etc., for them to go out and each influence another thousand people, right? This is kind of where influence gets very tricky in such a networked complex system as the one that we live in to think about this form of leadership because it is so brand new. It has really never existed except within more recently the last 10 years. I mean, we sometimes forget just how recent some of this technology is. Facebook was launched in 2003. Twitter was launched in 2007, right? Snapchat was just a few years ago. These technologies are changing the way that we communicate and are challenging leaders to think differently about how they influence other people and influence the system in general. And I think one of the reasons that we see the movements arising that we're seeing today is because people are finding some sense of community and common identity with other people who are also looking at the world and going, huh, maybe there's a way to, for this to all to be going a lot better than it's going now. And again, that is certainly, certainly relevant within the Black Lives Matter community, but it's also relevant within the people's movement behind Bernie Sanders' campaign as well. And within that campaign, you're seeing a, a mass transformation of hearts and minds within the United States that has not been seen, I, I mean, in at least 50 years, maybe not ever, um, maybe really since the Revolutionary War with the birth of the country, is you're seeing half of a major political party swinging really tremendously to the left. Again, this has less to do with whether you agree with the policies and views and philosophies and more to do with the analysis of what is actually happening here. When Bernie Sanders started in May of 2015, he had 5% of the Democratic Party's support. Democratic Socialist from Vermont wasn't that, you know, it, it wasn't that uh, surprising. You know, we expected him to poll low compared to Secretary Clinton, former Secretary of State, uh, U.S. Senator, First Lady from uh, uh, of of President Bill Clinton, but also of a of a sitting governor, um, of when uh, Governor Bill Clinton of Arkansas. So this is you know a remarkable achievement in terms of his campaign to go from five percent to more or less running evenly with Hillary Clinton in a national race. Um, but it's also a tremendous indication of how hearts and minds have been transformed within the Democratic Party, uh, within the left side of our country, to become more left. And again, that fits within the narrative of the last 15 years that I referenced in the previous episode. We went from the anti-Iraq war uh, movement in 2003-2004 to electing the first black president in 2008 and, and, and saying no to the establishment in 2007. And then at this time, it, it became... Uh, evident with the launch of Black Lives Matter and 
and later the Sanders campaign that this trend is continuing. This is the trend that I was talking about before. So again, kind of zooming back here for a moment, when we think about movements and we think about intended um, objectives of a movement versus the unattended, unintended consequences and outcomes um, and effect of that movement and really anyone's individual actions on the greater system. Uh, this is changing um, the way that we do politics. It's changing the way that we relate to each other. And it's changing the way that we, we are experiencing the here and now. So, you know, Alan Watts says you can never, you know, look to the past to explain um, the present. You can only look to the now to explain the now, so to speak. And I know that sounds a little confusing, but it's like you can only look at the current situation. It doesn't make sense to compare 2016 to 2012, really, at least in terms of movements, because movements are a completely different ball game compared to traditional campaigns. So if you think about each of the candidates within the 2016 race on all sides, the people who are behind the Bernie Sanders movement are basically a, a movement compared to everyone who's behind another, any other candidate, which they're just not behind a movement. They're just basically picking a campaign that they think aligns best with uh, their views of the world, their issues, etc. Now, it just so happens all the people who are aligning behind Bernie's views, philosophy, etc. are also recognizing that in order to do so is to create a movement to achieve the change that they want to see in the world. That's why the pundits are having such a hard time with explaining what's going on with this election. Because when you look at Bernie Sanders, it is a movement. It's not a typical campaign. So again, there are definite differences between um, what is intended within a movement versus what the unintended outcomes may be. Whether Bernie wins or not, there is an unintended outcome of this movement, which will be to have moved the Democratic Party to the left in the United States. There is an un, un, undoubted, you know, it is, it cannot be denied. It's an undeniable trend that we are seeing and that we are experiencing. And so... Again, this presents tremendous challenges to leaders of all kinds, not just those at the top, but to individual community leaders and the people who are trying to do work in their everyday lives to not only see movements, to recognize movements when they are, in, they are happening at any scale, but also to recognize the changing uh, di uh, dynamics of leadership and communications within those situations as well. So it's time for a quick break. We'll be right back. Thanks for watching Connecting the Dots. Welcome back to Connecting the Dots. I'm Jesse Chen. So in the previous segment, we were talking about movements and the changes that this uh, country is undergoing in terms of more recent movements like Black Lives Matter and the people's movement behind uh, Bernie Sanders, but also in terms of the impact that movements have on leaders <clears throat> indirectly. And so I wanted to take a little bit of time to talk about uh, the 
the reality of what a movement actually means um, versus the leadership practices that people can employ to contribute to a movement, especially when there's no clear, quote unquote, top down leader. So one of the things that's pretty evident to me is that movements, like I said in the previous segment, are a transformation of hearts and minds um, at a certain critical mass where being able to change one person's mind leads to a viral effect, so to speak. And it really is a mass uh, evolution of consciousness at, the, at, at, at once, more or less. And yes, it may take a few months, maybe even a couple of years, but in the grand scheme of things, it really is a dramatic shift in terms of consciousness. So when people are currently looking at the Bernie Sanders campaign, you know, the, the, the tie in Iowa, the win in New Hampshire, there is a little bit of confusion amongst the con conventional wisdom pundits, if you will, establishment pundits, about what is going on and how to explain it. And it's because we haven't seen a real forceful movement in this country in quite some time. Um, obviously, Occupy Wall Street, Black Lives Matter, Tea Party are more recent, but what's happening with the Sanders campaign is crosses ide the ideological divide. It crosses um, the philosophical divide. It crosses the race divide. Um, there is something happening here that is clearly um, an evolution of consciousness. And so movements, by and large, have been... Um, we haven't seen a movement of this size um, probably since the 1960s. And so people are having a hard time understanding what's going on. They're having a hard time identifying with what's going on. And even within the, the Bernie camp, um, there's people who agree with his positions but don't understand yet that they are actually part of a movement. And so there is still a spectrum, if you will, of consciousness that needs to occur within that space. Um, and again, this has less to do with whether you agree with the positions that he holds or not. This is more of an analysis of movements in general and thinking about what's happening uh, in our country and around the world uh, in response to um, these extraordinary times and the technology infrastructure that connects us all together. So if you're a leader during these times, if you're a leader in general in a movement of an organization, of a community, and you are trying to figure out how to influence a movement, it is not always clear how the best strategy is to, what the best strategy is to employ to go achieve that. And I think a lot of that has to do with the um, the lack of a an established infrastructure, an established organization, top-down hierarchy, uh, traditional audience type of arrangement where you can sit down and make sure that you have your voice heard. And this has a lot to do with my work with Powerline and what we've been trying to achieve over the last few years in terms of building a technology solution that is able to balance both leader-led and leader-less organizations and movements is how do you from a communication standpoint provide leaders with the tools to reach a particular audience but also provide a group of people and a a sort of fluid organizational infrastructure setup 
that doesn't require someone to be at the helm in order for that movement to grow and to be effective and for people to communicate within. And then one step beyond that, within that leaderless environment, how do you help organic leaders from the grassroots speak up and get the attention of the masses even if they don't hold a position? And so it's really that last piece that without going too much into detail regarding Powerline is the real challenge uh, for anyone who is working uh, to, to contribute leadership within a movement. And I said in the previous segment how a lot of it has to do with connections, a lot of it has to do with influencing the influencers and helping people become influencers. But I think a lot of it also has to do with strategic framing. A lot of it has to do with helping people see what you see and being able to communicate that view of the world for easy consumption and spread amongst other people within the group. Again, this is a fairly, you know, fairly new experience for for leaders of all kinds um, in the year 2016, given that everyone is connected to one another. And within those digital spaces, there's not always a clear structure of leadership. So being able to frame the issues, and this is where infographics, for example, come along as being an extraordinary tool. Infographics, memes, very good with getting a message across quickly to a large audience um, and making sure that the message is widely interpreted in the same way. And I say widely interpreted in the same way because the challenge with text words, the challenge with uh, even audio like this is that linguistically it is difficult for a message to be communicated and be universally understood, right? So let me, without going too far into this because it probably deserves an entire segment, is think of when I say, pass me the apple, right? When I say apple, it means one of two things in your head. It either means, you know, the fruit or the computer. And that's the only two things that apple can mean or what that sentence can really mean. But when you start talking about politics and complex issues, it's much more difficult to get a message across clearly. We are living in a complex world. People are exposed to a lot more information. So it's not just a complex world that we live in, but that we experience in our daily lives. People aren't just going outside and, and farming the field like they did in the old days. They've got a lot more data coming at them which makes their individual view of the world more complex in addition to the world system itself being more complex. And everyone experiences all sorts of distractions and barriers that make it hard for a leader's message to basically break through. So memes and infographics help to break through the linguistics barrier by using visuals to help make sure that more of the thought is actually communicated over to the receiving audience. And so that is also a key challenge for, for leaders, not just in general, how do you frame the issue, either using a mean, either using a, an infographic, using words or audio or art or whatever it is that you're using to frame the issue, but also doing so in such a way where you are conveying your thought in a universally understood 
manner. This is the communications challenge for most leaders and has been the communications challenge for most leaders for a very long period of time. That's why you often hear in politics, people talk about candidate X finding his or her message, right? Because the message is actually the resonance mechanism for getting a group of people to, to, to basically vibe with you, right? Is they're using words, to, they're trying to hack the language to get people to agree with you. And that has a limited amount of effectiveness. It's very effective when it's done right. It's also very effective when it's been done consistently over a, period, a long period of time and it hasn't changed. So for people who are able to communicate very, very well, um, George Bush uh, was, was good with this with the conservatives. George W. Bush was uh, good with this uh, with the Republicans in the 2000s. Obviously, Bill Clinton was an excellent communicator. Always felt people always felt like uh, uh, he was talking directly to them. Uh, Obama was a little bit different. He talked in terms of overarching, ambitious language and insp inspirational language, and it wasn't always necessarily something that resonated with every person that listened to it as much as it was supposed to be inspirational and really speaking to emotional and heartstring type issues. But when you look at leadership in general, and I, again, I'm just using politics as a way to think about these things, creating the right messaging is, at its core, part of what makes an effective leader effective. It has to, a lot to do with communications. Leadership truly is communications at its core. And so that means not only coming up with the right message, but also being able to break through the various different barriers to effective communication, whether that be distractions, whether it be uh, communications channels, whether it be, uh, you know, different messages and philosophies and getting through that, those mental roadblocks that people all have in their heads based upon their worldview. So that is really a lot of what effective leadership comes down to, is being able to frame that message and deliver it, delivering it directly to the people in an un, preferably unedited way um, and being able for those people, no matter who they are, what their background is, what their level of education is, uh, what their experiences are, what role they have in the organization or the community, whatever it is, being able to hear that message and understand it almost universally or at least apply it in a way that in their own lives that the leader would want it to be applied. So. Again, this is something that is challenging for leaders in general, but speaking back to the movements concept that I was talking about before and what this episode is about, is leaders within movements and leaders of movements, of which in the 21st century there is always going to be many, this needs to be a core priority and focus for any leader who wants to do a better job at leading their movement. They need to be able to frame the issues, they need to be able to frame their messages, and they need to be able to do so in such a way that it leaves for very little uh, misinterpretation by the other side. And this framing of the issues is core because you can have all of the connections in the world you can have a lot of influence and personal credibility with those connections and the ability to break through to those thousand or five thousand or two million people that you have. But if you're not able to frame the message, then your influence will have 
a limited impact. It will have a limited uh, diameter radius, if you will. It will have a limited radius of impact. So you won't be able to get your message far beyond your initial influencers. Those first thousand people that I mentioned previously, you need that message, that infographic, that meme, that frame, whatever it is, to be able to survive beyond those thousand people that you know you can influence, but it's the next thousand people that you don't know who you can influence. And so movements really are about transforming hearts and minds with these messages that work and that really raise consciousness, get people to think about the world in an entirely different way and really challenge leaders to communicate in ways that are far more um, impactful and far more uh, universal in their appeal than, than the usual kind of baseline communications that people get in their everyday life. It's undoubtedly a very exciting time uh, in our country, in our world, for all this connection to occur, for all this uh, influence to be happening at such a rapid pace. But that produces many challenges. It produces challenges for people to be informed and to be engaged. It also produces challenges for leaders to be able to lead effectively and organize and mobilize and, and educate and inform um, and frame their communications so that they can influence more effectively. I think that brings us to the end of our time for today. Uh, thanks for listening. This is Connecting the Dots with Jesse Chen, and I'll see you next time.